When Claire left, she left at the end of the first full year of running this fantastic program she set up and just handed over to me and she left. At the same time, we went through quite a big restructure. We lost quite a few members of staff in that process. And there was, for one, there was no way I was going to be able to run three action learning sets on my own. We also had, at the end of that cohort, um, massive waiting lists of people wanting to do that program. And since the interest in this has just exploded, largely from word of mouth of people who've done the program and really find it fantastic and they tell other colleagues and suddenly you know you have hundreds of people wanting to do this and so I was under quite big pressure from um, the head of our unit to scale back the program dramatically and increase capacity. Now Claire said it was aimed really at the GTAs with a formal GTA contract which is a quite a limited pool but the demand for um, associate fellow recognition goes beyond that kind of limited um, group of people. Um, and the university is very much everyone who is involved in teaching should have some kind of recognition. So we ended up not just with the GTAs, wanting all PhD students involved in teaching, which was a much bigger pool than we realized. Clinical staff were involved in teaching, professional services staff were involved in teaching. They all now want this program. So um, I needed to find a way of revising the program to one that was a much smaller scale, less resource intensive. <coughs> and at the start of that process, I felt very much like what Claire has set up. I mean, this action learning stuff really worked and it was such a good experience that I was really reluctant to get rid of it. So I created a new program that had like four meetings instead of five. And the boss was like, no, get rid of it. And I'm like, okay, two meetings? No, get rid of it. And I felt like there's nothing left of this program. So I had to kind of rethink what is it this program is trying to do. And that's where I came upon this idea of self-efficacy. So self-efficacy being people's beliefs about their capabilities to produce designated levels of performance um, that exercise influence over effect, events that affect their lives. So this is kind of self-efficacy, you know, this broadest term. It can be used in all kinds of, of aspects of your life. So I kind of took that idea and was thinking in terms of what does your belief in your ability to teach, is that something we can work with? Rather than actually producing fantastic teachers directly. Not that that's not what we do. So I started kind of looking at this, this idea, this model of, okay, we're academic development, and the reason we're here is because we want to improve the student experience and student learning outcomes. But of course, I don't have direct influence over that. I'm hoping that I influence teaching practices of the people who participate in my course, although I don't necessarily know that I do that directly either, or their conceptions of teaching or what it means to be a teacher. <coughs> and this idea of self-efficacy, actually just giving people the confidence to do stuff, does seem to show that that actually improves teaching performance. Of course, there's lots of questions to ask of that paper in terms of how you measure teaching performance. It does also seem to change people's conceptions of teaching, that having a greater self-efficacy, a greater belief in your ability to teach, moves you away from a teacher-focused way of teaching and towards a more student-centered way of teaching. And those things, hopefully, 
as a consequence improve student learning outcomes. So then my question was, does the stuff that I'm trying to do in my programme actually do anything to people's confidence around their abilities to teach or their conceptions of how good they are at teaching? So this, this model of self-efficacy from Bandura, he talks about kind of um, four factors or types of experiences that builds up someone's self-efficacy or knocks it down. Talks about mastery of, of whatever the aspect is, in this case teaching, vicarious experience through other people, verbal persu persuasions, the kind of the evidence of this, is, this is works or this doesn't work. And the emotional aspect of it, of course, there's the anxiety aspect of that emotion, as well as the feeling of confidence and success. So I then revisited my revised program and thought, have I got opportunities for these kind of influences in this new program? So this is what our new program now looks like. And... Um, very much like Erica this morning talked about, it was Erica, yeah, blended approaches. So <laughs> checking my notes. We also went down the blended route as one way of kind of increasing capacity. So we now have, rather than the list of six different half-day workshops that people could attend, that's been repackaged into one full-day workshop. That one full day workshop is open to anyone who is new to teaching, who's interested in teaching, who has no teaching experience, whether you're a GTA or not. And it's hugely popular and probably we get about 150, 200 people through that program every semester. And then for those who want to take it further and get their associate fellowship, they then move on to the rest of the program. So part two is a mixture of some online case studies. Uh, where um, they have a choice of different case studies that relate to different types of teaching, whether it's demonstrating, um, tutoring, um, running seminars, giving lectures, all those kind of things. There's a brief video of a fictional scenario, um, some theory that they're meant to read and think about, and then they write a brief reflection around what happens in that video. And then there's a brief workshop, which very much mirrors the uh, workshop there. Claire talked about in terms of using reflective models um, for learning. And then there's the last part, there's an element of peer observation, and then there's the peer seminars, which is where those six action learning meetings is now down to one. So a much more speeded up version, but at least a taste of using that kind of approach. So this is where I then kind of started mapping out. So this idea of mastery experience, some of them have very limited opportunities to, to get mastery of teaching in the classroom. They have to have some teaching to be able to do this program, but they don't necessarily have a huge range of teaching opportunities. And so that's where I also then put in those online scenarios where you get a sense of mastering the theory around learning and teaching, even if it's not necessarily mastering the, the classroom environment. And in those online case studies, they have to give peer feedback to each other. So again, showing that they understand the theory, the underlying principles of what makes good teaching. The idea of vicarious experience, of learning about teaching by watching other, people's te other people teach. And then I always make the point in those workshops, don't watch me, 
but watch everybody else because otherwise I get really self-conscious that I, they're all sat there critiquing my teaching. So one element is the peer seminars, the kind of action learning approach. They learn about other approaches to teaching by hearing about the challenges and solutions that everybody else has. But they are also encouraged to observe each other. So the peer observation element, one is an experienced teacher observes them teaching. And the other one is they have to go and observe somebody else on the course. And in that way, provide feedback to somebody else on their teaching, but they then also see what works or what doesn't through that vicarious experience. There's the verbal persuasion bit, and this is where I kind of think theory fits in. The evidence for why do we say this is a good way of teaching? There is actually an underpinning theory and evidence behind it. So the, the one-day introductory workshop does have an element of theory built into it. So the first part of that day, we talk about the um, basic learning theory of how we understand learning to happen and what makes good learning and teaching. Um, and just like we used to in the old action learning sets, the peer seminars are followed up with um, suggestive reading around the topics that were discussed in those seminars. Um, there's also the online case studies, of course, have the associated reading to that particular case study. And then there's the emotional element. The reason they turn up to that first workshop is because they go, I've got to teach, I have no idea what I'm doing, help. And they come to that workshop to just get those tips and tricks to get through that first day in the classroom. Similarly, those peer seminars are a huge um, boost, or it takes away some of the fear and anxiety by seeing what other people are doing and kind of recognizing, actually, I'm not that crap. Because we're all in the same boat and everybody's struggling with the same problem. It's not me. And they kind of feel more calm and kind of go, okay, yes, it's a challenge, but it's, it's, it's not the end of the world. So I kind of started to feel like, oh, okay, maybe my program isn't so terrible. Not as great as it used to be. It's not as long or as intense. This program now, they complete in the course of four months which means our numbers have gone from 30 completing in a year to this academic year, we're looking at roughly 100 getting their associate fellowship. There's another 30-odd on the waiting list. Actually, 150, I think, will be finished by the end of this academic year. Um, and we're looking at slightly tweaking this again as we're going through re-accreditation at the moment um, to one that is a little bit more flexible and we should be able to probably double the number that goes through. The reason being there's a massive push from the uh, clinical side. They all need to go through this program, so we need to up, the, up our game. But I wanted to evaluate whether it's working. So this is the um, research project I did as part of doing my um, MA in higher education. Uh, my background is biological sciences, and so I feel like a fraud when I stand up there running workshops and learning and teaching and thought, I need kind of a, a degree under my belt, so I did the MA. So this was the um, project I did for my thesis. I tried to um, evaluate whether this idea of building confidence around teaching, am I actually doing that? So 
We've got the one-day workshop, covers the sort of basic introduction, it's the kind of um, firefighting session, and then there's the four-month-long program that is a more longer-term developmental program. So the first part was um, a quantitative project. As a scientist, I could deal with numbers, so I thought I can do that one. So I sent around a survey to um, all participants um, at the start, so um, before the one-day workshop and then within a week after the one-day workshop, and then again at the end of the four-month program when they completed and got their associate fellowship. The survey had um, 25 statements around teaching confidence and 25 statements around teaching anxiety, and they were kind of um, a Likert scale, you know, how true is this statement for you? I did have fairly reasonable response rates at more than 60%, but that still doesn't give me huge numbers. So as a scientist, I kind of go, oh, this doesn't work, but bear with me. <laughs> Comparing before and after for the one-day workshop, confidence went up, anxiety went down on average. And you kind of think, oh, I've done it. They feel more confident after attending this workshop, they feel less worried about teaching. To be fair, their confidence is relatively high already. It's not like they're, you know, struggling, but at least it, it did increase a little bit. And of course, at the end of the four-month program, the difference between before and after is bigger in, in both measures. So they get even more confident, less ang anxious about their teaching at the end of the four-month program. And you could say, well, great, I've done a good job. But actually, over the course of four months, not only have they done my program, they've done lots of teaching in that time, had much more experience, it could be all kinds of things that make them more confident, not necessarily me, although I'd like to think it's me. <laughs> so I, I complemented um, or supplemented that kind of um, quantitative stuff with uh, um, interviews. So these were interviews um, with participants, and out of those 10 participants, four were actually participants who had completed the GTA program, as was the one that Claire set up. And the other six were those who had completed the first version of this new program that I set up. And I asked them to you know, talk me through their confidence journey over that time. And what I was hoping to find is anything they raised in that talking through that journey, or any other changes in confidence to do with the program. And if so, what was it about the program that was particularly helpful? So this looks like a mess, but I'll talk you through it. I gave them a blank version of this picture from when you started teaching to wherever you are today. How confident did you feel? From low confidence to high confidence. And asked them to just draw a line. And then asked them to annotate that line, which I haven't included here. But you know, what was it that knocked your confidence? Or what was it that boosted your confidence? Any negative or positive experiences? That was the start of the interview, and then the interview was basically, okay, talk me through what's going on here, through this picture. So it looks like a mess, because I've transposed everyone's graph onto the same one. 
generally, they all started out feeling low confidence in teaching. They all ended up feeling very confident. I really like this guy because he's a super confident. Then he got in the classroom and kind of went, oh crap, I don't know anything. He recovered over time. And as you can see, there's lots of ups and downs along the way. It's not a straightforward journey. The kind of things that came out of, of those <coughs> interviews, a few themes, and the first of one was that thing about experience. So it's that mastery experience that Bandura talks about. But it was about not just gaining experience or knowledge about teaching, but about the content they were teaching. So when you teach the same module the second time around, you feel more confident with the content and therefore mm. less scared in the classroom. But it also told me something about the timing of the workshops. So that first initial workshop, quite often they come to that before they had any teaching experience, partly because it's a university requirement. You're not allowed to take up teaching duties until you've done some training. But actually for many of them, that wasn't the right time to delve into pedagogic theory and what it means to be a teacher. And you know, like this, this person comes in and she needed to learn from experience first to know what questions to ask when she came to the workshop. And this is, of course, one of my favourites because he came to that initial GTA training workshops that Claire set up. Then he came to them again a year later. And then he came to do the full programme. But he took something different away each time because his questions had changed over time. So part of that confidence growing was gaining knowledge and experience about the context and the context in which they were teaching, but also about the, the content and the knowledge around teaching that they took away from the workshops. Support was hugely important, and a lot of them talked about support in different ways, quite often in terms of lack of support, and I think that was talked about this morning as well, about you know the supervisor really doesn't allow them to come, doesn't support them in coming, doesn't give the time, or tells them it's not worth it. And many of them found themselves working in some sort of bubble. And I, I, I can kind of picture this GTA <coughs> sat there in seminar, kind of just knitting, and nobody cares, right? But they all said they want to do a good job. It's just that nobody's telling them that they're doing a good job. And like Joe was talking about validation, they needed validation. And many of them talk about the workshops and the sessions we ran as being that source of validation. Sharing ideas with other GTAs or other um, early career teachers gave them a sense that, okay, I am doing the right thing, which they weren't getting in their department or from their module leads or whoever they were teaching for. So in that sense, kind of didn't matter what I did in my workshops. It was the fact that they all had a chance to talk about it and find support from each other. That was really a boost to their confidence. And part of that support was the feedback on their teaching. So they talked about feedback in terms of um, giving and t getting feedback from peers in the workshops. They also talked about that peer observation as being really important. They, they all really dreaded peer observation before it happened. They were terrified of it. And they all in the interviews talked about how terrifying it was before somebody were to come and watch them teach. 
And then they all said, what a fantastic thing it was. You know, it's been a turning point in my teaching to have somebody come in and say, what you're doing is really good. I've seen you do it and it's good. Because none of them had a peer observation that went, actually, you're doing a rubbish job. You're going to fail as a teacher. They all had the observation that said, you're doing pretty good. And maybe a conversation about what they could do differently. So those peer observations were really important. And a lot of them would never have happened if they weren't explicitly part of the program. So as much as I dreaded kind of dismantling the program that Claire had set up, and I felt like there's nothing left. This program is just not worth it anymore. And actually starting to think about it in a different way, the program still does work. And it's doing the thing that Claire was talking about, about giving them the tools for ongoing, continued development. So it's gradually building their confidence over time, both through experience and through participating in the program, and through validating their own prior experience. It's helping them to use that process of reflection through discussion with peers and through the kind of questions we might ask and turning those experiences that they have into actual opportunities for learning. And the particularly important aspects of that program were the peer discussions, the peer observations as a source of, of validation and feedback. And so those are the ones that I'm definitely going to keep and um, find ways of making even more effective. Connecting things to theory was important. It just meant it had to happen at the right time. So connecting to theory before they've ever stepped into the classroom is just not the right time. Once they've got a few experiences under their belt, connecting to, to theory was important. But like we've talked about, making it relevant. So they own, choose their own case studies, they choose their own examples, and connect to the theory that's relevant to that. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Tony. <laughs> so, <laughs>